Well, good morning, everybody. It is so wonderful to see you here this morning. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor. If this is your first time here, we love first-time guests, and we hope that by the time you leave, you will have experienced the warmth of Jesus in this place, and I trust that you will. You know, it's been an exciting time. Uh, this is always an exciting season, uh, and when I visit uh, my social media pages, it's been fun the last week or so seeing all the pictures of those who have graduated or who will be graduating, those who were promoted from their various schools. And so if you have a loved one, maybe a child, a sibling who's graduated, congratulations to you, to your entire family. And so we're just so thankful for all the graduates of uh, our church. So I'm going to do this. If you have a loved one, anybody, you know, in your family who was either promoted, and by promotion, I mean maybe they went from preschool to kindergarten, <laughs> elementary school to junior high, junior high to high school, or if you have somebody who graduated from high school, college, or graduate school, we want to celebrate you because it you know, takes the whole family to, to help them to the next stage. And so I'm going to ask you, if you have anybody in your family who was promoted or graduated, can you stand? Because I want to celebrate you. All right? Let, let, let's celebrate them. All right? Oh, yeah, and by the way, that includes those of you who did actually graduate, because <laughs> I see some of you out there. Well, it is a, a wonderful time for our church. It's also a time for us, uh, every so often, to share some church family news. And we got the sad news this week that uh, Rick Pierce, a friend of ours here at our church, he passed away earlier this week. And uh, we take comfort in knowing that Rick is no longer in pain, that he is in the presence of his Lord. And we also want to let you know that uh, there will be a funeral service for Rick on June 2nd. So that's this Friday at 9.30 a.m. at uh, Forest Lawn Covina Hills. And so thank you for uh, your prayers for Maria, his wife, during this time uh, of grief. And we also shared last week, uh, I believe last week, that our friend Dewey Keel went home to be with Jesus. And uh, thank you for reaching out to his family. I know Lou, his sister, is here with us this morning. Uh, Dewey's memorial service will be held here inside our worship center on June 17th at 11 a.m., followed by a reception in the landing. And so thank you for caring for your church family. Tomorrow we honor those who gave of themselves for our country. They, pay, they made the ultimate sacrifice. And so if you are able to, would you stand with me? And we just want to take a moment to, to honor them in a moment of silence. And so if you could stand at this time, if you're able to. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. I know that's a day for a lot of us to, to enjoy the day. But if you're able to stand, we just want to pause. And would you just bow your heads with me in a moment of silence as we do honor the fallen, those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. Father, we give you thanks because you are the God of all comfort. You are the God of every season. And we thank you, Lord, that you take us 
through those seasons and you walk with us. And we thank you, God, that we could stand and pause and just honor uh, the fallen. And we thank you, God, that as we reflect on this weekend, that we also, as followers of Jesus Christ, we recognize, God, as we look to the cross, the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And because of his sacrifice on the cross, that we have the ability to stand before you worthy, not because of ourselves, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And so we thank you, God, for loving us, for caring so deeply for us, for comforting us, and walking with us throughout life. We give you thanks, and Lord, now as we open your word, teach us in a way that it would transform our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Well, we are in week seven of our series on the church, nature, purpose, function. If you recall, back in week one, Pastor Luke kicked off our series by talking about spiritual gifts. And we are called to utilize our gifts not to build ourselves up, but for the benefit of the body of Christ. In week two, we talked about the three vital components of a healthy church. We talked about a common commitment. That's accountability with one another. We talked about a common life, that's fellowship with one another. And we talked about a common vision, that's partnership. In week three and four, we talked about the importance of corporate worship. And you recall, we said that gathering together corporately as one church is not an elective, it's not an option, it is a non-negotiable for the follower of Jesus Christ. Our personal devotions, those are important. Gathering with our respective groups throughout the week or on Sunday mornings, those are important times, but those are not substitutes for corporate worship. And then in week five, we talked about living the new life, and Pastor Luke shared with us an encouraging message about being united as one body in Christ. And then last week, week six, we talked about the responsibilities of church leaders, and I gave you three pairs of responsibilities. And we said that godly leaders lead and feed. Good. Some of you were listening. Godly leaders lead and feed. They watch and warn, and they tend and mend. So that brings us now to our seventh message in this series. And I titled this morning's message, A Faithful Church. A Faithful Church. And today we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 4. And this should be the aim of every church, to be a faithful church. And this characterized the church that we'll look at today in the New Testament. And when all is said and done here on earth, our prayer is that God will look at our church and say there was a faithful church. And so with that in mind, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'll give you a moment to make your way there if you have a Bible. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 to 4. And in a moment, you'll see this passage on the screen as well. But I want to kind of give you a little backstory of this letter. When Paul wrote this letter, it was 
one of the warmest letters that he wrote to any of his churches. And the Thessalonians, they occupied a very special place in Paul's heart. He had this deep affection for them. And because he loved them so dearly, he was protective of this church. And so he wrote them this letter. He felt compelled to write this letter. And as I read our passage for today, I want you to, to sense the warmth in Paul's tone as he begins this letter to the Thessalonian church. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, says this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that He has chosen you. Did you sense the strong affection in Paul's tone in the opening of this letter. Who here has been to Greece? Anybody here been to Greece? Good. Some of you have been to Greece. I haven't, but I would love to one day. I would love to go to Greece one day. Now, if you've been to Greece, it's possible that you visited and saw St. Paul's church. It's possible. Is still there in the city of Thessaloniki, or some pronounce it Thessaloniki. So that's an actual city that exists today. The city is a beautiful city. Sometimes it's referred to as Salonika. So if you go there into that part of the world, some might say, oh, you're in the city of Thessaloniki or Salonika. And if you go there, you can see St. Paul's Church. So here's a picture of the church as it stands right on the edge of the Aegean Sea. It's a beautiful church, a beautiful part of the country. At least that's what the picture showed me. And again, one of these days I would love to go to Greece. Now in Paul's day, Thessalonica, the city, was a, a big city. It was uh, the largest city in Macedonia. A lot of people there. And the city was originally called Therma. Why Therma? Well, because there were a lot of hot springs in that city. So for those of you who like hot springs, you would have loved that particular city. And so it was called the Therma because of its hot springs. Eventually, the name changed to reflect the name of Alexander the Great's half-sister. Her name was Thessalonike. N-I-K-E, as in like the shoe. And so his half-sister was named Thessalonike. And so the name of the city was changed from Therma to Thessaloniki. And we call it Thessalonica. A variety of different ways to pronounce that city. Romans, Asians, Jews, and a host of other nationalities called Thessalonica home. It was truly a multi-ethnic and a multicultural city. 
much like Los Angeles. And it was an important city because it linked a lot of significant cities together by its great highway system. And it had this big port. It was a thriving city. It was an economic powerhouse in the Roman Empire. So Paul knew that it was a strategic city. And that is why he felt compelled to plant a church there on his own. And in his opening, he mentions two of his ministry partners. We read the names Silas and Timothy. Paul planted this church along with these two ministry partners. Silas was a leader in the Jerusalem church. And he was given the task to accompany Paul to this area and to plant the church. Now, Silas was a wonderful teacher. But beyond that, and more importantly, he was a faithful ministry partner to Paul. And so he traveled with Paul. Now, Timothy, he's more widely known to most people because, well, after all, he has two books in the Bible named after him. When Paul met Timothy, Timothy was a young man, and Paul was so impressed by this young man's faith that he took Timothy under his wing, and he traveled with Timothy. I'm so thankful because every time I read about Paul and Timothy, I think about, well, my own family. My dad's name is Paul. He named his first son Timothy. <laughs> and so there's a connection there. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy, they got to work in Thessalonica, and they planted the church there. Now, there's a reason why they call it church planting. Because if you know anything about planting and gardening, you know it is hard work. It is labor intensive. Right? Think about this. You trim trees, you trim bushes, and they just keep growing back. They don't stay trimmed. You, you mow the yard, and in a couple days, the grass just keeps coming up. You rake leaves, and the next day, there are more leaves especially where I live, where we have so, so much wind. It's like a never-ending task to plant and to garden. And the reason why it is such hard work is because in planting and gardening, you're dealing with enemies. They call them weeds. You pull those weeds, and it's as if they're laughing at you. It's like, ha, ah, I'll be back tomorrow. So it's a never-ending, laborious task to plant and to garden. Planting in Thessalonica was hard work for Paul and Silas and Timothy because the enemy kept attacking. And there, the enemy came in the form of people who were jealous of Paul. Paul came onto the scene, and there were a group of people who saw his success in this church plant, and they became jealous of him to the point where they actually drove him out of town. And some became violent. And as if, as if that wasn't bad enough, they drove him out of town, and some in this jealous group, they followed Paul to the next city to cause trouble for him in Berea. Well, eventually, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they made their way to the city of Corinth, and it was there in Corinth 
that Paul wrote this first letter to the Thessalonian church. And why did he write this letter? Well, it's because he wanted to encourage them by letting them know that they encouraged him. You see, he planted and he got to see this church grow. And so he was encouraged by their faithfulness. And so he wrote this warm letter to thank God for his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. I want to go back and look at verse 3 again. Let's focus in on verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, hope. Faith, love, hope. This is the famous triad of Paul. Throughout his letters, in fact, nine times in his letters, Paul refers to this triad of virtues. Faith, love, and hope. And this was the first time that he talks about this triad. You see, because in all his letters, even though he talked about faith, hope, and love, faith, love, and hope, this triad in a variety of combinations, this was the very first time he talked about this because 1 Thessalonians was widely considered one of the first two letters he wrote. Now, we, we might not know that because when we open our Bibles, we usually think, well, it's all in chronological order. But that's not the case for many of the books. And so Paul's letters are not necessarily in chronological order. He wrote 1 Thessalonians and Galatians. Those were his first two books. And so he mentions this triad for the very first time, faith, love, and hope. And so in our time remaining this morning, Let's talk about this triad and how the Thessalonian church encouraged Paul by living out faith, love, and hope. And we'll see what it means for us, E-Free Church of Diamond Bar in the 21st century. So we begin, first of all, with a faith that works. We read about that in verse 3, a faith that works elsewhere. In Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, do you, do you know what he said to the Ephesian church? He said, we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He says that elsewhere in Ephesians, to do good works. Now, that doesn't mean that we are saved by our works. We are saved by grace through faith. And that faith then produces good works. It's a natural progression and manifestation. Did you know that no amount of our good works can ever undo the sin in our lives? No amount of good works can justify our sins. Unfortunately, some people think that. When asked the question, do you know where you will spend eternity? And some might say, well, in heaven. Well, how do you know that? Well, because I'm a good person. No amount of good works can ever undo the sin in our lives. 
Only Jesus can and only Jesus did when he died on the cross to take away the sins of the world. And so we don't work to earn salvation. Salvation results in a life of doing good. Now, my question is this. What does that mean for us in the context of church? Because after all, this is a series on the church. So what does it mean to do good works as it relates to our church? Well, what I'm about to share might come as a little surprise to you. But I hope you'll be encouraged by what you're going to hear in just a minute. So stick with me here. In the business world, there's a principle that's known as the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule. And the idea is this. In business, 80% of the output can be attributed to 20% of the input. Does that make sense? So in business, business people are always thinking, what is the, the, the area that we're strongest in? So let's focus all of our efforts there. And so in business, it's widely understood that 80% of all the output, the productivity, is a result of 20% of the work. And so business people try to find out what is it that works, and they spend their time investing in that. But somewhere along the way, this principle made its way into the church, the 80-20 rule, except it was applied very differently. And maybe some of you over the years, you've heard maybe pastors Maybe leaders teach about, oh, in the church, there's an 80-20 principle. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And maybe you've heard that. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And oftentimes, that's used to motivate the congregation to volunteer, to serve and serve and serve. And the intentions are good. But here's the thing. When we hear about the 80-20 principle as it relates to the church, here's what tends to happen. A certain percentage of the congregation hears that type of message and is left to feel guilty that they're not doing enough. While other members might hear that and think, wow, yeah, I'm the 20%. Or secretly, they are judging the other 80%. Why am I the only one who's ever volunteering for an event? I never see so-and-so volunteer for an event. And so... What happens is when you hear a message about this 20-80 or 80-20 rule, you have a group that is feeling guilty. And then you have another group judging those who are feeling guilty. I don't believe that guilt is the best motivator in life. Sure, I get it that a person might get to a certain point, but in the end, I believe if guilt is a motivator 
that is used, in the end, that person will only be left feeling used. That person will only be left feeling used. My prayer is this, church, that you are never shamed into volunteering for an event or a ministry here at E-Free Church. That is not how we approach ministry. We want to provide opportunities. We want to encourage you to serve and exercise your gifts in the way that God's created you. But we don't ever want to shame someone into serving. You see, because that's a very narrow perspective of ministry. Here at our church, we have a lot of ministries, a lot of events and programs throughout the year. And the reality is this, this. Those programs and those ministries and events, they don't run themselves. And for a church our size, I will say this, that we have a large menu. Do you know what I mean by menu? Right? We have a large menu. So if you go to our website, there are many ministries, many things that you can get involved with. But I don't think the measure of our faith is determined by how many times we volunteer for something. See, that's a very narrow perspective of ministry. If we only measure a person's faith or commitment to church by the number of times a person volunteers, then we're not considering how that person is living out your faith through the week. Maybe in your workplace, in raising your children, in taking care of family members who are in need, spending time with friends and neighbors. So you understand, ministry is an entire life involvement, not just one little segment known as the church. The success of a church is not measured by the thickness of its menu. I found the following words by one author encouraging. I hope you find these words encouraging as well. The author writes this, The function of the church is not to train workers for the spiritual marketplace. It is to equip its members to live the Christian life. They live out this calling as a distributed community, dispersed in their various locations, jobs, circumstances. Their ministry is to bear witness to the grace of God and the transforming work of Jesus Christ in whatever context they find themselves. And so church, we, the leaders, don't ever want to guilt you into volunteering for events. That's not the way God intends his church to serve. The Thessalonians, they encouraged Paul by living out their faith daily, not only in their gatherings, but in their communities, in their workplaces, amongst family and friends. So too can we. A faith that works throughout our entire lives. 
Here's a second component of this triad, and that is a love that labors. So we have a faith that works, that works in our entire lives, not just in one segment, and then a love that labors. Now, I'm going to talk about something that I have no firsthand experience with. But I will say this, that I almost had my hand broken because of this situation. So what was this situation that I have no firsthand experience in, but that I almost had my hand broken as a result of? Well, the situation was the birth of our son, Andrew, almost 23 years ago. And to be more specific, the situation was the labor pains that Joanne experienced in giving birth to Andrew. So Joanne was induced on the evening of June 14 in the year 2000. So that means in just a couple of weeks, Andrew turns 23. So she was induced on the evening of June 14, and that began her labor. And she had several, several hours through the night and into the morning of the most severe labor pains. She didn't have an epidural, so no epidural. And so she labored all through the evening. And finally, the next morning, 9.30-something in the a.m., she gave birth to Andrew. But what I remember most was during the evening, my hand was about to be crushed because Joanne was gripping it so tightly during every pain that I lost blood in my hand. And I thought she was literally going to crush my hand. A woman in labor is a strong woman. <laughs> Thankfully, Andrew was born. I survived. So when you mothers out there hear the phrase, a love that labors, I'm pretty sure you have a much deeper understanding than any of us do. A love that labors. But when we talk about a laboring love in the church, I imagine most of us have experienced what it means. Loving one another in the body of Christ, it is not easy. At times, it is not easy. And at times, the reality is, it's quite difficult. And sometimes, loving one another in the body of Christ, yes, it can be painful. You see, because we as human beings, we are good at hurting one another. That's just the reality. Human beings are good at hurting other human beings. Even when we don't intend to, even when we don't intend to hurt someone, we do. A careless word, harmless gossip, and by the way, there's no such thing as harmless gossip. As human beings, we are so prone to hurting other human beings and letting others down. That's why love takes work. It takes a lot of work. You know, in Paul's letters, he does not talk about romantic love. He talks about a sacrificial love. 
a laboring love. A love that labors through all the tough times. He talks about working through the strained relationships. He talks about forgiving one another. He talks about growing together in the body of Christ. And because of this, sometimes some people might think to themselves, I don't want to get too close to others because I've been burned before. And that unfortunately happens in the church. Sometimes people say, you know, I don't want to get too close. I don't want to be too vulnerable because I have in the past and I've been burned. And I don't want to put myself out there again. I get it. I understand. I have to imagine every single one of us here, bar no one, every single one of us has been burned by someone else in the past. We've been let down by others. I, as your pastor, I've let you down. That's just the, the nature of us as human beings. We are prone to hurting others, even when we don't intend to. But you see, that's why the New Testament, it never says, because of that, go lock yourself in your room and never come out. If we did that, then yes, we would be shielded from all that. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we were never intended to live isolated. We are called to live in community. And that takes effort. And it is tiring. But that is God's will for us. You know, the word labor, it comes from a Greek word which literally means, ready? Pound the dough. So labor means pound the dough. During the pandemic, one of the most popular activities was bread making. Do you remember that? Some of you became experts at bread making. And because it was so popular, there was a shortage of flour and yeast in the markets. So why was bread making so popular during the pandemic? Here's the reason. It's because people needed relief from the stress. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here till Thursday. Thank you. People needed, K-N-E-A-D, people needed relief from the stress. And pounding dough provided the relief. And that's why people took to bread making. Years ago, I had a job with Domino's Pizza. I was a Domino's Pizza delivery man. And one of the perks of working for Domino's was that every night during my shift, when it was slow, when I didn't have a delivery, every night I could make myself a pizza of any size, any toppings. So every shift that I worked, I would take home a pizza. It was wonderful. Now, since my primary job was not making pizza, I was a delivery driver. 
Making one pizza a night was so fun. I loved it. I looked forward to it. But imagine doing that eight hours straight, pulling, pounding, stretching the dough. It is tiring work. Your fingers would begin to cramp. Your joints would ache. That's because it is labor-intensive to pound the dough. By the way, I'll never forget this. One of my most memorable experiences working for Domino's was one day I had to deliver a pizza to a motel, to a family who was visiting. I get to the door. I knock on the front door of the motel. A little boy opens the door and sees me, and he turns back. He says, Grandma, the pizza delivery boy is here. And I'm thinking to myself, boy? <laughs> I, who are you to say that, kid? But it was all good because when I gave the pizza to his grandma, she gave me the biggest tip I ever got. She gave me a $20 bill as a tip. That's more than the pizza. And that was well worth being called pizza delivery boy. <laughs> but you see, growing in community, it takes work. It takes effort. So I encourage you, let's make the effort. It's easy to come and go. It's hard to make yourself vulnerable. But the effort is worth it. It'll be painful at times, disappointing at other times, but it'll be worth it. Here's a third and final component of this triad. And that is a hope that endures. Paul talks about a faith that works, a love that labors, and a hope that endures. Remember now, Paul's writing to a church. He's not writing to one individual. So keep that in mind as we look at verses 3 and 4 again. Verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. When Paul planted the church at Thessalonica, his prayer was that they would become a faithful church. That was his prayer. And to be faithful is to be devoted it's to be steadfast, it's to be loyal, it's to be trustworthy, it is to be unwavering. And here's the thing about faithfulness. Faithfulness cannot happen overnight. Faithfulness cannot happen overnight because one time can be a fluke. You can do anything one time well, but that's a fluke. Faithfulness must be seen over time. This year marks 56 years of God's faithfulness to our church here in Diamond Bar. 56 years. And this year marks 56 years of faithful members of our church, stewarding God's church. I don't believe anybody here was at our church 56 years ago. I don't think. None of us was here 56 years ago. But we're here now. 
And in this season of life, God is calling us, every one of us, to faithfully steward His church into the future. And He's calling us to build on the faithfulness of those who have come before us. And speaking of building, in the coming days, we're going to start sharing more and more about our exciting Children's Center project. We've been talking about that here and there over the years. Many of you were not here when we first started talking about this vision of a new Children's Center. But it's going to come to fruition. The plans, the drawings, they're at the city right now. The city is reviewing our plans and getting ready to approve those plans. And those plans will go to bid. In fact, we are now receiving bids from contractors. Here on our campus, we have three buildings. The building over there that we call the front office and the landing, that was the original building. The building right over there, that's what we call currently the education building. We sit here in the third building, the worship center. By the way, did you know that that education building, which was completed in 1992, was built by members of our church, by the hands of members of our church? Anybody here today, this morning, who was part of that team who built the church? Right there, Ed Shockley. Ed Shockley. Let's, let's hear it for Ed Shockley. I believe Ed led the way. And because of that, because of the very hands of people like Ed, we have an education building that served us so wonderfully all these decades. And we could build on that faithfulness. And so in the coming months, we're going to expand the education building. We're going to add on to it. It'll be given a whole new facelift. The interior will be completely redone for the generations to come. Because you and I, we don't do church only for ourselves. Did you know that? We don't come to church simply to get something out of it for ourselves. We are part of E-Free Church into the future. When you and I are no longer here, our church will still stand and minister to our community. And that is why we continue to build on the foundation of those who have built this legacy. Things change over time. People come and go. One thing remains constant, and that is our hope in Jesus Christ. That will always remain constant, and that is why we exist as a church. Otherwise, church, there would be no reason for us to exist as E-Free Church. If we had no hope for eternity, there would be no reason to exist. Do you know why? Because the world does not need another club. God has not called us simply to be a club. 
God's called us to exist, to know Jesus, and make him known. And that includes making him known to those who do not yet know Jesus Christ in this generation, those who will come after us. I hope that in 44 years, when we celebrate our 100th birthday as a church, that they will look back and they will say, oh, those people back in 2023, yeah, they had funny hairstyles back then. They had strange-looking clothing styles, but they, they were part of the legacy of Every Church. And that's why we exist, because of a hope, a hope that endures. We are in a race, not only for our own lives, but for the lives of those who do not yet share our future hope. And here's the thing about the race that you and I are in. One author puts it this way. The Christian race is not a competitive event to see who comes in first. It is an endurance run. It is an endurance run to see who finishes faithfully. That is our aim. So that God will say one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. We are called to steward Efree Church. We're called to be faithful to the truth of his word. We're called to be faithful to the Great Commission. We're called to endure whatever challenges that may come our way. And I hope that you sense that God has brought you here to be part of this church family and to grow together. If you're visiting for the first time, maybe you're visiting from out of town, and my prayer is that you are part of a church where you can say, our aim is to be a faithful church. Not to finish first, but to finish faithfully. That's my prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to our church for these 56 years. And you've blessed our church with faithful stewards. And as we continue to steward your church, Father, encourage us through one another. Encourage us through the tough times. And encourage us to be an encouragement to others. So thank you for the reminder through this faithful church, the church at Thessalonica, they possessed a faith that worked, a love that labored, and a hope that endured. May that characterize every church here in Diamond Bar. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.